0: Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues a series entitled Marital Arts. In this message, Brandon looks at something that we all hate to admit that we deal with, pride. Especially in a marriage, pride can so often get in the way of unity and harmony. Brandon encourages us that humility does not show weakness, but instead, strength. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing good. Hey, uh, today we're going to continue this series on marital arts. I'm um, really excited about this. Gonna be a lot of fun today. Um, real quick, I want to kind of set up the series for you. Uh, we titled it "Marital Arts" um, because uh, actually, on a, a trip up to go to my grandmother's funeral, we're riding by a uh, karate place, a martial arts place, and I looked on the sign, and out front, in front of this building, it, I looked at it, and I literally saw "Marital Arts." And like I said last week, I, I don't think God changed the letters or anything. I just, that's just what I saw. And then I started thinking about that. I was like, wow, that's pretty neat. That's interesting. That marital arts is, is when we learn how to work out our marriage, when we, we learn how to have the marriage that God wants us to have. Martial arts is what? When you're fighting. And the thing I realized is that we can make a choice to either fight in our marriage or fight for our marriage. The other thing that I realized in that is if you look at the word marital, you look at the word martial, um, the letter that really moves in there is, is the I. And so this series is based on some things that we have to do, some things we have to look at differently if, if our marriage is going uh, to be what God desires for it to be. And so we're going to continue that today. We've, we've been looking at the book of Hosea. Um, and, and actually, I'm going to read out of Philippians today. But I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Hosea before we start. Hosea was a prophet to, to Israel, God's, God's chosen people and and he went God God didn't only want to speak a message through Hosea he wanted to illustrate a marriage or, or, a message through Hosea and so he sends Hosea to go go find a basically a prostitute right a hoe right and and he says go take a woman a prostitute an adulterous woman and marry her anybody want to do that i don't yeah, right you would not want that assignment. And so here's the deal. He goes and marries her. They have some children. Then she goes back out into prostitution. And God says, um, Gomer or Hosea, go and get her again. That's pretty crazy. But what the awesome thing is about that is, listen, that is God's love for us. That even though we've prostituted ourselves to all kinds of things, even though we've turned our back on God, God still pursues us. That's incredible. I would have given up on me a long time ago. Aren't you thankful God hasn't given up on you? And when we look at that relationship of God to us, it should mirror the relationship that we have with our spouse. It should be a mirror image that that, that when the world looks at our marriage, what they see is a reflection of the covenant of God and his people. And so we're going to be looking at that, we're, we're, we're going to be talking today out of the book of Philippians chapter 2, okay, you can go ahead and turn there if you will, um, Philippians chapter 2 if you have your Bible, if not it'll be on the screen, but we're going to be looking at the next eye, the next eye that has to move if we're going to live with marital arts and not martial arts in our marriage, is we've got to move the eye of self and pride. So it's a fun topic today, I'm sure you're excited about that, it's going to be a feel good message And everybody walks out happy, right? All right, let's jump in. We're going to read this, and then we are going to to dive in here today. Um, I believe in God that is is going to do some incredible things in our heart today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have um, to be in your word. God, I pray that, that today you would move in our hearts, God, that today you would bring hope, that you would bring reconciliation, that, God, you would take our marriages, our individual lives to another level, and that, God, we would fulfill the highest purpose in which you created us for, that everything we do, everything we are, would bring you glory. Have your way now. Holy Spirit, come and move in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to start out by saying this. When, when I was uh, uh, 24 years old, got married... Um, and I uh, married my awesome wife, Susan, and I still remember the wedding day um, like it was yesterday, and I'm sure most of you do. I remember very specifically standing in front of a very full church, who were all there for her, right, I mean, pretty much, and, and I'm standing in front of a very full church nervous, but thinking, you know, this is going to be cool. Get through this. We made it through all of the parties leading up to the wedding. So I'm like, we can make it through this. You know what I'm saying? I knew if we could ever get to the wedding, I thought we'd be all right, you know? And so I'm standing there. All the, the groomsmen have come in. All the bridesmaids have come in. And it's time, you know, the chiming of the hour, right? And so I'm standing there. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. You know, I didn't lock my, lock my knees out. I kept one bent so I wouldn't pass out. You know, I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, the doors open in the back of the church, and there's my bride. And man, I started crying like a baby. I started bawling. I mean, uncontrollably. I'm talking about like, <laughs> I mean, just crying. And i like, I don't even know what happened. I saw her, and I was like, <laughs> I'm just bawling my eyes out. When she starts down the aisle, she sees me crying. She starts crying. And so we're both just standing there. I'm facing her. She's facing me. We're just like, <laughs> you know, just both of us crying. And I remember my father-in-law standing there with her. He, he looks at her. He looks at me. He goes, one of y'all have got to get it together. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't even know. You know, it's like, you know, trying to slap myself. Wake up. you know, come out of this. And I remember standing there, and you know, one thing I've realized is, is as many people as I've talked to about marriage, as many times as I've gone through marriage counseling, I've gone through all these different things, I, I've talked to very, very, very few people who say that the day they were standing at the altar, watching their bride come down the, the aisle, or, or either watch, walking down the aisle looking at their, their future husband, were thinking in their mind, this is going to be terrible. You know what I mean? And listen, if you get to that moment, leave. Because it's not going to get any better from there, right? It don't get any easier. It's not like you get married and everything's like, oh, you know, God's just like, here it is. It's perfect now. The work starts, right? It doesn't get easier. So if you have those thoughts, go the other way. Run as fast as you can. Everybody will get over it, right? Just don't do it. And, and, and here's the thing, I realize most people don't have that thought when they get married. But how many times, according to statistics, 50% of them don't even make it. Not counting the other percent that are just miserable. And the thing I want to tell you is, is marriage is not just about sticking, man. It's, a, it's not just about surviving. It's about thriving in a relationship, in a covenant that God wants us to thrive in. And sometimes you stick it out, you get it out. But listen, God wants you to win at marriage. Those of you who are married, God wants you to win in marriage. We sang a song just a few minutes ago, God is able. God is able to allow you to win in marriage. For those of you who aren't married yet, God is able to put you with the right person so that you win at marriage. That that, that you can have a guaranteed win in marriage that's a pretty bold statement in it guaranteed win in marriage but i believe that's what god tells us i believe he he gives us a guaranteed win in marriage you remember uh, some of these athletes in the past that have guaranteed wins anybody like you you follow sports and and athletes a lot of times they'll guarantee a win Remember that? I remember. I don't remember because I wasn't born yet. But I remember hearing about Muhammad Ali. Everybody remember Muhammad Ali? Anybody actually watch Muhammad Ali fight? Uh, y'all ought to put y'all's hands down. That was long. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But but remember, uh, he was he was he did not lack confidence, did he? And and his thing was he he even said, "I'm not great, I'm double great." He said, "Not only will I knock him out." I'll tell you what round I'm going to knock him out in. And you know, when he fought Sonny Liston the second time, who was also a great fighter, he, had a, he told everybody, he said, I had a dream, I knocked him out in the first round. You know what he did? He knocked him out in the first round. How many, anybody remember Joe Namath? He 1969, is that right? Super Bowl three, I think it was. Jets and Colts, he guaranteed a win. He delivered. Joe Namath delivered. They won. And we've seen these athletes guarantee these wins. But how many of them have guaranteed a win and didn't win? Happens all the time. Some of you who aren't quite as old, but, but probably around my age, you remember Patrick Ewing. It was the Knicks and the Pacers guaranteed a win in game six. They lost. Right? They lost. How about this year? One of the Philadelphia Eagles, the NFL team, Philadelphia Eagles, they, um, one of their players said, we are the dream team. Nothing can stop. We are the dream team. Yeah, they're having a losing season. (laughs) Like, that's a nightmare. It's a dream team, but it's a nightmare, right? It it didn't make it. And see, here's the thing. Oftentimes things are guaranteed, but we don't get what's guaranteed, do we? Why? Because so many times it's based on the performance of an individual or a team. Here's the thing. If you want a guaranteed win in marriage, it's going to be based on God's ability, not yours. It's it's not going to be because of of what you can do or or how great you are or, or how you can whip your spouse into shape or how you can teach them how to do what you want them to do. It's going to be because you're both leaning on God and the grace of God to use his ability in your life to create the marriage he desires you to have. And here's the thing, if that's going to happen, if God's ability is going to be worked out in our lives, you have to get you out of the way. Because either you can do it or God can do it through you. Right? And listen, listen, listen. When I say you, that's plural. Both of you have to get you out of the way. Because that's the nature of pride. See, I don't believe pride is just arrogance. I believe this. I believe pride is when you think too much of you too often. Right? That's why some of the most insecure people you'll ever see come across as the most prideful. Why? All they do is think about themselves, and they hide it behind this veil of confidence that is it, it is so thin. But they come across as, as this part, well, I, blah, 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 blah. and they're hiding their insecurity behind a veil of confidence. And so, so many times we look at it and we think that pride is just being arrogant. It's, just, no, it's when we think too much about us. And that's the problem in marriage, isn't it? We think too much about us. Isn't that the problem in, in our relationship with God? We think too much about us. I guarantee you this, if we thought more about God, pride wouldn't be the issue. Because you cannot think about God and remain in that top place in your life. When you see the holy God, the God of the universe, and he touches your life, you come to a place when that sight, that understanding of who he is causes you to realize, I don't belong in his position." I don't belong where he is. And we need to realize, listen, that the problem so many times in marriage, the problem with us in our relationship with God is us. I would say one of the reasons marriage doesn't work is because we come into marriage with the same attitude that we come into church. What am I going to get? Right? We walk in, what am I going to get today? And so here's the thing I would challenge you with and I would tell you, if you've given your life to Christ, this right here is no longer about you. It's about other people. In fact, your entire life is now about other people. The very fact that we die to ourselves, we die to our pride daily, is the normal Christian life. It's not for some super saint That God's blessed with this ability to do incredible acts of piety, right? It's everybody. It's the normal Christian life. And when we come to marriage, it is the normal way to live life and to function in marriage. Listen to me. If we would do what Paul teaches in Acts 2, 1 through 4. And if we will live by the example that he uses of Jesus Christ in in verses 5 through 9, I can guarantee you, your marriage will win. If you, plural, both of you, live by these verses, you'll win. You will win. And listen, 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 don't come up to me and say, we both did this and it just didn't work. You did not. Here's the guarantee win. Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. The first thing I want to tell you is that if we are going to have the marriage if we are going to have a guaranteed win in our marriage this is what i would tell you your marriage is only going to be as healthy as you and that means plural you both of you are whole in christ your marriage is only going to be as healthy as both of you as in as in both of you as in plural as in you and your spouse are healthy in christ When Paul lists these things out in verse 1, he says, If you've had any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, listen, he's making a plea for unity and harmony within the church, but I can tell you this works in your marriage as well. If it works in the body of Christ, and this is what God wants for the body of Christ, does it not make sense that this is what He wants in your marriage? And he's saying right here, he's like, listen, if you have any of these things, if you have comfort, if you have anything from his love, if you have anything from being united with him, fellowship in the spirit. And he's not saying if, like if you receive these, he's saying, if you've received Christ, you've received these. And the purpose of this is to make us whole, to make us one, to make us united so that we can be healthy, so that we can be whole. So that when people look at our lives, it glorifies God. So that when we come into a marriage, you and I, we come into that marriage, we're healthy, we're whole, we're being made whole. God is progressively working in our lives. And listen, here's the deal, guys. It doesn't mean we're perfect at this. Anybody perfected marriage yet? No. In fact, I was talking to a gentleman before the service, and he said, man, I really liked the message last week. If nobody else needs this, me and my wife do. I was like, well, here's the deal. Everybody needs it. You're just willing to admit it, right? And then that the first step that we like, I need help. And he says right here, listen, Jesus will make you whole. Jesus will heal your life. His comfort and his love his, the power of the spirit will work in you to make you whole. To, to make you where your marriage can be healthy because you're healthy. Because God has done an awesome work in you. I would, I would tie it to this. How many of you um, played sports of some sort and you had to do um, wind sprints and that kind of thing? A lot of people in here, I'm sure. And, and here's the thing that I never understood. I always looked when we were practicing football or, or baseball and I would see like the cross country team or the track team and they were running. I always thought like the worst part of my practice is when we run. And that's all they do. Why? I never, I I don't know, like some people are like, man, I love to run. It just gives me a high. I'm like, it almost kills me. I hate it. But you know, the one thing I learned when I was running in in, uh, football or baseball is typically at the first of the season, you weren't in in as great a shape as as maybe at the end, and we'd be running wind sprints. And you know, the thing that I realized was when we would run, um, I would still, even at the end of the season, we've been running for for, for months now, and, and even at the end of the season, I would still get winded. I would still breathe hard when I ran. But you know, the difference was I recovered quickly. Like I could run 40 yards and turn around and have to do it again. But by the time it was time to run 40 yards again, I was, I was recovered. I was, I was able to breathe again. Like now, if I run 40 yards, I'm like, (gasps) you know what I'm saying? I'm like, Jesus, come back now. But you recover quickly. I would say this, that one of the measures of our spiritual health is when we get off track, when we begin to move away from Christ, how quickly do we come back? How quickly do we realize, like, wow, something's not right? How quickly do I realize there's something not right inside of me? And when we're fighting with our spouse, guess what? There's probably something not right inside. That's what I realized. But Susan and I, listen, honest to God, we went to marriage counseling about a year, a year and a half ago. And, and see, the good thing about this church is, like, nobody can judge me for that because I see most of y'all there. Right? You know what I'm saying? So, so that works out. We went to marriage counseling. And I'm always like, I wonder who I'm going to see today. You know, when I walk out. But listen, we we went because we we wanted a tune-up in our marriage. And everybody needs a tune-up. But you know what it became? And you you can go ask our counselor, our therapist about this. Every time we sat down, you know who we talked about? Me. It didn't take long and we realized like I was the problem. So now I just go by myself. (laughs) Because it was like, yes. And and then it was almost like I have my, my therapist here and Susan here and they're both counseling me. I'm like, I am so messed up. But the problem with us is us. And here's the problem so many times in marriages, people listen to me. We begin to try to fix the marriage when the problem is we need to be fixed. The second problem, and then the second thing that we see is that we can't fix us. Jesus fixes us. You can't fix you. And so many times we're praying, oh God, make my marriage better. Make my marriage better. And our prayer for us, plural, both people, should be, God, heal me. Make me whole. Make me who you desire me to be. See, we've got to get this relationship right, this vertical relationship right, before we get any horizontal relationship right. And I'll tell you this, the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy in our marriage is self and pride. Because it it destroys harmony. It destroys relationship. It destroys unity. Think about it like this. What was it that that destroyed uh, Adam and Eve's relationship with God? Their self, their pride, their desire to be like God. The thought that maybe God's holding out on us and it's not best to trust in him. What was it that got Satan kicked out? His pride, desire to be like God. What is it that causes us to go against what God tells us to do and causes us to actually wound ourselves by our actions and our decisions? Our desire to be God over our own life. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, pride is, is in essence us trying to elevate ourselves to a position that is only deserved by God. And so the first thing we need to do if we are going to have the marriage that God desires for us to have is we've got to come to a place where we allow Jesus to make us whole. Where we begin to die to ourself, we die to our pride, and we say, God. I need you. I need your help. I need your love. And listen, listen, listen. I don't want to hear this junk about I can't get anything out of a marriage series. Listen, if that doesn't speak to you as an individual, something's wrong. Because if you're going to rise to your highest calling, to your highest purpose, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to pride. You've got to get you out of the way So God can do what he desires to do. Amen? Everybody good? All right. Listen. Let's read verse 2. If any tenderness and compassion. That's actually verse 1. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and purpose. Listen to that. Make my joy complete. Be like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. The second thing I tell you, if we're going to have the marriage that God desires for us to have, we've got to get on the same page. We have got to get on the same page. Here's the thing I want you to understand today. There is great power that comes with unity. There's great power when people are are on the same page, when they're like-minded, when they think alike. Listen, and I know you're never going to think exactly like your wife. I I know that. You're never going to think exactly like, I know. But here's the deal. We can get on the same page with the thing that's the most important. And that's Christ. Christ. We, we can get on the same page about the fact that, that that is the thing we're going to unify around. Listen to this in James chapter four. You can stay where you are. I'll read this to you. James chapter four, verses one through four. Listen to this. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred to God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What does he say causes fights and quarrels among us? What does he say causes division among us? Us, our selfishness, our own desires. He said, you don't even get what you want from God. You don't even get what you ask for from God because your motives are all jacked up. And so we come to this and we realize that, that if we are going to, to be able to do uh, and have the marriage that God wants us to have, we've got to come to a place where it's no longer about us. We come to a place where you and I get on the same page. Listen, we need to have a cause that's worth fighting for, not somebody just to fight with. We've got to have a cause that's bigger than us. We've got to have a cause that overshadows our own desires. And listen to me, remember, I'm not, man, everybody deals with this. You've heard me say it before, 10 out of 10 people are selfish. The thing we do is we continually, day after day, take up our cross. We follow him. We die to ourselves. We constantly use the, the, the scripture as a benchmark. Am I living like this? Am I following the example of Christ? And we constantly remove self from us. Listen, if we are going to die to ourselves, If we're going to live for God, it's going to be because we become so consumed with Jesus that it squeezes out any room that would be left for pride for us. That would be left for us. Listen to Psalm chapter 10 verse 4. I read this again this week and I, I just thought, man, this is an incredible scripture. It says, in his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. But what's the opposite of that? What if in all our thoughts we seek him? Then there's no room for pride. What if we do the opposite of that? And rather than, than, than being prideful and not seeking him, what if all of our thoughts are consumed with him and because of that, there's no room for pride to exist in our life because here's the deal, you can't think about God in all of his majesty, you can't put him on the throne of your life and not realize I don't deserve to be in his seat. You can't. So when we come to a place where we realize that that, that That is the cause worth living for. It is Christ. It's it's because God's touched our heart. He's changed our lives. That we live for Christ. That you and I, you and I, our spouses, can come to to a place where we get on the same page. Where we come to one one place. Listen to Acts. Read another scripture. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 45. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So in their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4, 32 and 33. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them. Listen, here's the deal, guys. If you want to see power in your marriage, if you want to see power in the church, then be of one mind. Be of one accord. If you want to see, listen, I know these verses are about the church, but it's also about us. It's about, I mean, if you want to see power in your marriage, in in your life, be of one mind. Get on the same page. Make Christ the most important thing. And this is how we do it. Paul, isn't it awesome that the Bible doesn't just tell us to do something without telling us to do it? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He said, your attitude ought to be that of Jesus. Other translations speak to the fact that we should have the mind of Christ. So here's the deal. If you want to get on the same page with your wife, you want to be on the same page with your husband, you and your spouse want to be of one mind, here's the deal. you got to lose your mind. Who's close to that? (laughs) I am. You got to lose your mind and you got to gain the mind of Christ, gain the mind of Christ. And it happens in two different ways. People listen to me. One, when you come to Jesus, God changes your heart. The Holy Spirit comes in and, and changes your heart and you begin to think a different way. There's a transformation that takes place. You're no longer conformed to this world. You begin to be conformed to the image of Christ. Your thinking begins to change. Why? Because at the core of your being, you've changed. The other way is that we imitate Christ's example. That we look at him. Remember John 13 when Jesus, he goes and washes the disciples' feet, something that was reserved for the servant, for the slave. He goes and he washes their feet. And when he gets through washing their feet, he looks at him and he says, Hey guys, listen to me. I did this, I set this before you as an example, you do likewise. What's he telling us? He's telling us, just like I've served you, you serve others. How much does that apply in our marriage? When we come to it looking for what we can get rather than, than what we can give. And see, here's the deal, when you're, sa- when you're, when you're satisfied in Christ, You don't have to look for everything that somebody else can give you. You've already been given the greatest thing in the world. Jesus. And so we have to come to this place where where we realize that if we are going to have the mind of Christ, if you and your spouse, you, your husband, you and your wife, listen, if you're going to be on the same page, it's going to be because Jesus changed your heart and you begin to imitate Christ. It's about transformation and imitation. And when we begin to do those things, we can come to one, one, one mind. We can come to one page. You know, one of the things that, that's, that's um, pretty interesting to me from, from playing sports and playing football, um, we always had like a playbook. We always had um, scouting reports and different things like that. And some of you have probably seen playbooks. Some of you have probably seen the NFL teams when their coaches are on the sideline and they've got this big, huge sheet of paper. and It's got like plays on both sides and they're all highlighted and all this. Stuff. I'm like, how in the world do they keep up with all that? I'd forget it. You know what I'm saying? i like, I got no idea. You go out that way. You go that way. I'll throw it to one eye. You know, I, I couldn't remember all that stuff. But why do they have a playbook? It keeps them all on the same page. It keeps them all... Listen, how, how jacked up would it be if, if they gave every player a different playbook? And so they call this play, and for everybody on the field, it means something different. And they say... Now I said, hey, the quarterback goes this way. The backs go that way. The receivers are going different directions. What would it be? It would be chaos. It would be confusion. It'd be ridiculous. I mean, it wouldn't work. But then when you watch a football game where, where the offense is clicking on all cylinders, man, they're killing it. They're, 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 they're working. They call the play. Everybody knows the play. You watch the quarterback. You watch the receivers. It's like they know what they're going to do before they do it. And it's beautiful. It's an awesome thing. It's like they're efficient. They're productive. They're getting it done. They're moving the ball down the field. But I'll ask you, which one of those do you think probably represents marriages more? Chaos, confusion, or productivity, efficiency? If we're moving the ball down the field for the glory of God. I'd probably say The first why we're operating off of different playbooks what's in your mind is not in their mind there's no there's no cohesiveness there's no unity if we want to see the the purposes of god fulfilled in our marriage it is going to be because we come to a place of unity so here's the deal guys we need to have our minds renewed we need to come to a place to have the mind of christ see here's the thing your mind wants to dwell on the past does it not Doesn't your mind? Your mind wants to dwell on the past. And Jesus says the past is exactly what it is. It's the past. Let it go. It's over. It's done. Move on. I made you a new creation in Christ. When you come to me and you trust me for salvation, I I took that and it's gone. Now move forward. The other thing that our mind wants to do is dwell on the past, doesn't it? We want to we dredge up the past. We want to hold on to it. Man, first thing that happens, you get into a fight. What do you do? You start pulling up stuff from like a decade ago. You're like, well, you remember when you said such and such about my mama? You know what I'm talking about? You, you start dredging up the past. You're just pulling it all back up you remember the time it always happened well you did this well you did that listen if god made your past off limits shouldn't you do the same for your spouse if if god said i'm not going to go back and touch your past then shouldn't we offer that same grace to our spouse here's the deal your marriage will never move forward by dragging your spouse's past Behind you, it won't work. And see, our mind says, "Let's dredge up the past. Let's 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 bring everything back, and let's 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 hash that out again." And Jesus says, "Listen, guys, if you want it, I'll offer a fresh start. I'll offer an opportunity for you to begin again. But if you're going to do it, it means you give up your mind. You lose your mind." And you come to the mind of Christ. See, we want to we think in our mind that, that, that our future has to be the same as the past. Our, our expectations of what's going to happen down the road is based off of our experience that we've already had. And God says, listen, I can give you a new hope, a new future, if you'll just trust me and come to a place where you'll begin to allow me to change your thinking, where you begin to think like me and not think like this world. And so the question becomes, are Are we willing to allow God to recreate and shape our thinking? Are we willing to imitate the life of Christ and serve our spouse and serve other people around us? Listen to this. This is the last section, verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. The last one I would tell you is that we've got to define the win for yourself and your marriage. What's the win? What is the win for your life? Let me ask you, what does it look like for you to get to the end of your life And if you've won? If your life is a success, what does that look like? Have you ever thought about like, like when I'm 75 years old, 80 years old, 120 years old, whatever. What does it look like if I have succeeded in life? And I would challenge you with this. I would challenge you with this. If your win is not fulfilling the plan of God for your life, you need to redefine the win. If your win comes at the expense of your family, of your marriage, of your kids, you need to redefine the win. Listen, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition, out of vain. Don't do it to try to get the win. You know my temptation in, in winning this one of the things I die to daily is, God, what's going to happen to the church? Some days I'm like, God, kill it. That was a joke. But, but so many days I'm like, what is going to happen, Lord? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And God's like, it ain't up to you. You just do what I tell you to, boy. I'm like, yes, sir. But, but I struggle with that so much that I'm like, God, what, what's going to happen? What, what's it going to be like? Why does that matter to me, selfish ambition? But here's the deal, guys, and I want you all to know. I'm not going to fall into a trap. And, and, and God, I've got men that, that you better hold me to this. Those of you who speak in my mind, you better hold me to I am not going to fall into the trap that I win at ministry at all costs. You know what? The, 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 the actual word for um, selfish ambition is, is actually a Greek word that basically literally means to win at all costs. And there's so many people today who, because your win is wrong, because we need to redefine what the win actually looks like, our selfish ambition is costing us, our wife, our husband our kids, our family, everything that God purposed for us because we have misdefined the win for our own life. See, listen, I'm just gonna be as honest again. I'm not losing my family to save yours. I'm not. it's It's why, listen, and I know people say this. Well, you're the pastor. I know. And the first responsibility to pastor is my wife. My nine-year-old, my five-year-old, and my one-year-old. And I'm going to take care of them. It's why, it's why I'm, not, I'm not the one who does everything in the church. One reason it's not fair to me. The other reason it's not fair to you. And the most important reason, it's not God's design. God designed the body to minister to the body. But you know what's easy to have happen? It's easy for us to say, well, I'll be the savior. And I'll do everything. And God didn't design us for that. You know what he designed us to do? Exactly what he tells us to do. And the first thing he says is he says, I want you to love me. I want you to honor me. I want you to glorify me. And I want you to do things out of love for me, not out of selfish ambition. Let me ask you this question. What is it costing you to pursue your win? What's it costing you? Because if it's not gaining the purposes of God for your life, you are are, are chasing something that doesn't matter in the long run anyway. You're, 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 You're selling everything out. For a cause that will not last. Listen to what Paul tells us. Verses 6 through 8. This is an example of Christ. He said, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That Jesus, God, didn't consider equality with God something, literally, something to hold on to. And it says that he made himself nothing, literally emptied himself. Not of his deity, listen, he was still God. But he emptied himself of his rights. And here's the thing. If you're going to have the marriage, a guaranteed win in marriage, you can't fight for your rights in marriage. Most of you have probably learned if you've been married for a while, you have none anyway. Right? And we shouldn't. Pride has no room for in marriage. Self has no room in marriage. I found this out again this week. Literally found this out. I went to the gym. I haven't been to the gym in a while. Could tell it, you know, it's like trying to get to the same loop on my belt and having to, you know, get lightheaded. Went to the gym. Got on the scale. In like five weeks, I gained eight pounds. I, I, don't, I mean, I guess it was like the ice cream brownies. I don't, you know, I'm not sure exactly, but. I'd gained eight pounds. I was like, holy cow, I've got to do something. I went home that night. I walked in and I went back, did a couple of things and walked over to Susan and we're about to eat supper. I said, Susan, I've gained eight pounds. She said, really? I said, yeah. I said, can you tell? She goes, well. (laughs) Your face looks a little full. I was like, what? I was like, and then I thought about like, what if the shoe was on the other foot, right? And she was like, does this dress make me look fat? And I was like, well, it looks a little full. I mean, (laughs) that don't work. All right. She's like, are these jeans too tight? Well, if you take the long underwear out from under them, no, they wouldn't be too tight. I don't have on long underwear. What? Oh, it wouldn't work. But pride, like I could have just been like, you know? But it just has no place. We can't have any place. It doesn't work. And when we come to marriage with our own selfish desires, we place demands on our spouses that will never be met. When we come to a place out of pride and selfishness, it will not work. It will not work. Real life example from this week. See, Susan and I grew up a little bit different. Um, At my house, uh, we, uh, we always ate at home every night my mom would cook. I, I can remember uh, she'd cook every night. We, we'd sit around the table and, and after supper, like I can still remember this day. We lived in Noonan, Georgia. and still remember this day after dinner, my dad would always lay in the floor. We'd all hang out, you know, and uh, we just like, you know, rub our bellies or whatever. And, and so we, we just hung out. That was, that was our routine. Now, Susan grew up, her dad owned a restaurant and that's, why we eat now is because he owns a restaurant and so we we, she grew up where that was like the family table right i mean they go down there and and that's where they ate every night and it's like the more people the merrier even when you went over to their house man there was always tons of people there and so susan grew up like everybody's family you know what I'm saying? It was like the more people, the merrier. I mean, you go down there on birthdays and they have a cake, and it's like whoever just happened to be at Snooky's has just got a piece of cake. That was foreign to me. I was like, you don't get my cake. That's my cake. You leave my cake alone. And, and so it was just this total different mindset. And you know, one of the biggest struggles I think Susan and I have is the mindset of, of what does family time look like? You know what I mean? Because can you imagine, to me, it's us sitting down, it's eating, and then it's rubbing our bellies. For Susan, it's like, let's just be around people. You know what I'm saying? And for me, I'm like, let's just go home where we can be together. And and it's just a different mindset. Not that one's right or one's wrong. In fact, I would probably argue she turned out better than I did, but it's just me. But... But it's the reality that that there's two different mindsets. And the thing, guys, listen, the thing we've got to be willing to do is leave our selfishness, our pride, the things that we desire at home. And we have to come to the mind of Christ. We have to come to a place where our selfish ambition, our own desires don't matter. We've got to come to a place where we've yielded it all to God. We've humbled ourselves before Him. If pride is when we think too much about ourselves too much, then humility, I don't, I don't believe it's thinking less of yourself. I don't think it's thinking less of yourself more, more, you know, more often. I think it's thinking of God more often. Because when we think of God, We put him in the right place. We get this relationship right. We humble ourselves. We come up underneath his his sovereignty, his power, his glory. We come to a place of unity and we begin to realize that in that unity under him, united in him, he begins to put his power and his grace. What happened in Acts 2 and chapter 4? They were unified, they were together, and there was great power among them. And God added to their number daily because there was great grace working within them. When we come to a place in which we are unified around Christ, when when God is changing our heart, our minds, when we're working towards that same goal, when our win is the same, we've laid our selfish ambition aside and we say we're running as hard and fast after Christ. We're going the same direction. The problem is when we decide we're going to go opposite directions because of our selfishness. I would say this to those who aren't married yet, or maybe one day you will be married. You cannot confuse marriage with benevolence. You need to find somebody who is going to run as hard and fast after Jesus as you are. If you're running in opposite directions now, it ain't gonna work when you get married either. And I know you're like, well, what about you? It was a miracle of God. There have been people who fell out of airplanes and didn't die too, but do you really want to try that? I don't think so. Find somebody that will run with you. Wrap this up, verse 9. It says, Therefore God exalted him. He exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You know, Jesus humbled himself. Under God's sovereignty, under his authority, he emptied himself of his own rights, took the form of a servant, died on a cross so that you and I could come to know our heavenly father, that you and I could enter into the presence of God. If you and I are going to have marriage, if our marriage is going to rise to its highest purpose if your individual life is going to rise to its highest purpose in God it will be because we have humbled ourselves before the Lord and He has raised us up I can tell you this if we'll allow Jesus to make us healthy if we'll allow Jesus to make us whole we'll allow Jesus to change our heart and change our mind that we become like-minded with our spouse. If we'll allow Jesus to be the win in our marriage, in our relationships, so we're able to come to a place of unity, you can have a guaranteed win. But it only happens when God's ability is being worked out through us question today is will you humble yourself listen individual unmarried whoever married couples will you humble yourself to say i need the ability of the lord i need the ability of god in my life a lot of next steps in here we talk about this every week what's your next step with god is it coming to christ so that so that in your life he can do an incredible work is it coming to him and trusting him for salvation so that in your heart he changes your heart so he changes your mind so you can be healthy you can be whole is it just taking the step to say we need help our marriage needs help it needs a tune-up is it being willing to take that next step Here's the thing, guys. It's not going to work with just one of you. You both have to come to a place of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and allowing Him to raise you up. For some of you, your, your first thing, man, is you've got to get right with God. you got to allow Jesus to come in and change your heart. For some of you, it's, it's getting a reconciliation process with your spouse. Listen. Your past experience doesn't have to dictate your future. God is the master of reconciliation. He can give you hope. He can bring healing today. Are you willing to take your next step? Let's stand up and pray. If you will. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your life in us, God. Thank you that you do change hearts. You change our minds God, you give us the mind of Christ. I pray today we would lose our minds and gain the mind of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those in here today who their marriage is hurting. God, I pray for those who, they've given up hope. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would awaken them to hope in you, Lord. Do an incredible work, God, that, that, that we would become healthy, whole, as we yield ourselves to you, as we yield ourselves to your power, to your spirit, that, that God, we would be of one mind, that we would die to our selfish ambition, that God, we would take the form of a servant and serve our spouse to serve others in our lives. I just do an incredible work here. I wanna ask you guys, listen, listen, listen. uh, You're here today. and You know today that your next step is to get right with God. And, And you would say this, before I can get my marriage right, I've gotta get my life right with Jesus. And you say, today, I need salvation. I need to trust in Jesus as my Savior for the first time. Are you here and you're not, Mary? But you know, before my life gets in order, it's going to be because I come to the Lord. I come and I trust in Christ. This is what I want to ask you to do today. If you want to make that decision here today, to seal the deal, to get that done, to allow Christ to come in and change your heart and change your life, I want to ask you today that if you are making that decision and you want to trust Christ for your salvation, right now, right here, I want you to just put your hand in the air. Raise your hand right now. We're going to celebrate with you. You'll get your hand up right now. Anybody here that you would say, I need the Lord in my life. I know I can't make it without Him. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Listen, in just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to play this last song. We're going to do this last song. And while we, while we do this song, will you please, man, will you walk out? Let them pray with you, and, and just let them walk you through your next steps. If you'll just allow them to do that. Um, they're good folks. They're not, they're not going to make you do anything crazy. And we just want to pray with you, love on you, and help you take your next steps, if you'd be willing to do that. I want to pray for you guys. Listen. Many people in here, you know your next step. And today, I challenge you, I pray that you would take it.